Let's go back to our nine principles. Pull up your text for the class. And I remind you that we are focusing on kind of the skill set. If this proclamation is warnings and definitions and declarations, it's also a declaration of a skill set. And I think this sentence is worth an entire semester just to focus on this one sentence. We can't, but 15 prophets, seers, and revelators said, okay, let's make a list of principles necessary to make family and marriage successful. And I don't know if you've pondered what's not on that list, but I spent a lot of time noticing what they didn't include and what they did include. And I can't even imagine the hours of debate that must have gone into what finally made the list of nine. What are the principles that make family and marriage successful? And we've kind of noticed there's nine of them, but we've noticed they kind of come in pairs. The first two are very related and kind of paired together. Faith and prayer. Faith and prayer are kind of in the same category. The next two are very related. Repentance and forgiveness. The last two, fun and work, play and work, are very related. When we take those six out, we're left with three. And this is a puzzle piece that for many years didn't fit for me until this proclamation came out and finally put the, a puzzle piece together for me. The last three words after we take the rest out, are respect, love, and compassion. And that's a trilogy. And I've thought a great deal about this trilogy. I would suggest to you, can I just suggest, this is just my own observation, respect, Spell it right. Love and compassion. I would suggest that triangle is charity. For so many years of my career, I tried to put my fingers around a better understanding of charity. I knew it was more than love. It was more than service. And when the proclamation came out, just a light went on. Charity, I would suggest, has three major components. I do not have charity for you, no matter how much I love you, if I don't respect you. And I know people who love each other and don't respect each other. It is not a, a guarantee. Love and respect are not the same. And you cannot have charity with only love. Charity includes respect. Charity includes compassion. I will never have full charity for you if I don't in some way feel what you're feeling. And so this, this, this threesome, 
now means so much to me. And what I want to do is break them down into the three pieces. I don't know how, we'll, how many we'll get done today, but I want to start with respect. Now, let me just ask, honest question, don't answer it, just ponder. If you had been involved in the group making this list, if you had the assignment to say, what principles of the gospel make family and marriage successful? How many of you would have included respect? I don't think I would have thought about respect. Notice what's missing. Can you think of some words that are missing? Major gospel principles that we talk about all the time in sacrament meeting and are not on that list. Service is one. Service. Humility is not on that list. Integrity is not on that list. Obedience is not on that list. And so it's not like there weren't some very significant things that didn't make the list. So why did this one, why respect over service and humility? Why did they settle on respect? Now, again, let me ask an honest question. When was the last time you heard a sacrament meeting talk on respect? How many of you have ever heard a sacrament meeting talk on respect? How many of you have ever had a gospel doctrine class or a priesthood class or a Relief Society class on respect? And yet, what did they say? It is one of the foundations of making family work. There's a disconnect somewhere in the church that they came out and said, it is one of the nine that made the list and we don't talk about it. As I've teach dating classes and I've asked people, what are you looking for? Describe the ideal spouse. I never hear anyone say respect. And yet they're saying one of the secrets to marriage is respect. Love and respect and compassion form a triangle that makes marriage work. If you love your spouse but do not respect your spouse, there's going to be a breakdown. So today let's focus on respect. What is respect? What does it mean to respect? Now, in this digital world where I pay with my watch more than anything else, I do not have a dollar bill. I searched the house for a dollar bill before I came, and I did not find a single dollar bill. So imagine I have a dollar bill. A piece of paper. Ooh, I have one. Look at that. So tell me, what makes this worth a dollar? It is paper and ink. The paper and ink combined are not worth a dollar. It is not the contents. In fact, if I had a zero here, it would be the same paper and the same ink, and yet clearly the value increases. What makes this worth a dollar? Okay, someone says it's worth a dollar. Does that automatically make it worth a dollar? Because someone says is, an, is a crucial component. Someone says, someone has put their stamp. There's a signature on here. 
Someone says this is worth a dollar. And I think that's part of the equation. But that is not what makes this worth a dollar. That's part of it. Someone has to say, here's a dollar. And then all the, James? We just have a mutual respect that that's a dollar. Respect makes this worth a dollar. I accept its value and I treat it based on my acceptance of the value. If I were to add a zero, I would treat it differently because I accept greater value. What if there were six zeros on there? How would I treat this piece of paper? <laughs> Any chance I would wad it up and put it in my pocket if it had six zeros? If there was a million dollar bill, would you just, why not? Same piece of paper, same ink. Why would you suddenly be very, very protective and careful with that piece of paper? Because I and all of us acknowledge that that has tremendous value. Respect is about acknowledging value and then treating it correspondingly to that value. If I were to wad up a million dollar bill, what would you say? Besides that I'm an idiot. I lack respect. I am not treating it the way it deserves and should be treated, right? So you're making the connection to human beings, Sarah. Was delayed a lot, and I said, Hey, I'm in a hurry. I gotta an appointment tonight. She's like, What are you doing? I said, I have to get my temple recommended of you. And she just asked me questions about it. She left the church. I don't think she'll come back, but she respects my belief system. And she's like, Oh, it's not like mom. And what, what do they ask you? And just, I thought it was so respectful. That's it. And it's not, I don't value that, but my mom does. My, and I recognize that my mom puts great value in this, a matter of respect is to acknowledge the value that other people put in an object. My dad taught me a lesson when I was a kid that changed my life. He didn't even realize he changed my life. I was a tease. I had an older sister and a younger sister and they shared a bedroom and they had a menagerie of animals on their bed and everyone had a perfect spot. There must have been 50 animals on each bed and that drove me crazy. And so I would go in and mess with their animals. I did it all the time. I would go in there and mess with their animals. I'd put them upside down and face the other direction. I'd change the order. I'd take one and hide it. Typical little brother, older brother stuff, right? And my dad imposed a rule that changed me forever. He said, the rule in this family from now on is that you have to treat an object the way the owner of that object treats it. You can't treat those animals how you value them. You have to treat those animals the way they value them. And it was the same thing. My sisters had to treat my things the way I valued my things. 
And what I realized was what my dad was teaching me is you are someone's divine creation. And respect is treating you the way your creator treats you. I only have respect when I acknowledge the value he has placed in you and treat you according to that value. Now, I've thought a great deal about respect. And I don't mean to be racist or political for a moment, but this country devalued an entire race for hundreds of years. And as soon as we devalued a group of people, we were then okay with treating them inferiorly. The only way you could treat someone that way is if you if they lost their human dignity. And somehow we as a nation lowered their value and treated them as less because we forgot what respect was about. Respect is to acknowledge the value a divine creator has placed in his child and to treat you based on that value. So let's look up a few scriptures and you tell me what value does God place on each and every human being? Can you think of a scripture that will teach you what God's value is for the people around us? Abby, you have one? Just the work and glory one. Okay, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life. So your life, let's, let's read it. I'm going to actually read that one, not in Moses, but we're going to read it in the Doctrine and Covenants 18. You know the verse that says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. Then the very next verse tells us how valuable is the worth of soul in, in God's eyes. Tell me the, let's read that next verse. So Doctrine and Covenants section 18 Verse 10, he says, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And then verse 11, tell me what one soul is worth. Whitney, would you mind reading it? So what is one human soul worth? The life of the Savior. The life and death and sacrifice of the Savior. If he could save one person, was it worth it? So one human soul. The person you honked at, the person you flipped off the other day, the person on the phone that you yelled at and snapped at, the person at the grocery store that you got angry at, that life is how valuable? Worth the Savior's sacrifice. Number two, how about 15? 
What is one soul worth? Tell me what one soul is worth, according to verse 15. Amanda? All the joy. Okay, and I love that perspective. But how does that joy come? Let me pull back a little bit. That joy comes from if you were to labor an entire lifetime and save one soul, was it worth it? What's a soul worth? One soul is worth what? A lifetime of work. A lifetime of labor. If you were to labor your whole life and save one soul, was it worth it? Will you, does your joy in heaven declare that it was worth it? So what does Heavenly Father say a soul is worth? The person you yelled at. What is their soul worth? An entire lifetime of labor. Okay, let's do one more. Let's go Matthew, let's do the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, at the very end, Jesus kind of ridicules anyone who is willing to lose their soul in exchange for what? Verse 26. Tell me what a soul is worth. Abby, would you read that? For what is a man profiting if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So in other words, he's criticizing anyone who would lose their soul in order to gain the world. That's a foolish, right? So what's a soul worth? More than all the possessions of earth. Not anyone, more than all of them. More than all of them put together. Respect is when I see and acknowledge that value. I see you as being that valuable. Now, do you have respect for Heavenly Father's children in general? Do you see what he sees. Do you see the value that he has placed in his children? I am fascinated that C.S. Lewis did. C.S. Lewis, who didn't have the addition of the, the restoration that you and I have. He got it. Let's read this one. Amanda, can you see well enough to read that one? Some big booming voice from the back. Would you read that? of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of people, uh, gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Would you read that sentence one more time? And let's ponder the people you have been the most angry at. And yet, listen to this sentence one more time. Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Wow, keep going. 
It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is ours as the life of a great... Of, of a Nat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom with... Uh, work with Mary Snub, snub and, exploit. and exploit. Now, here's the irony. As human beings, if we get closer and closer together, we notice the flaws in each other more readily, right? Um, have you ever just thought someone was just uh, perfect and then you get close enough to their, real, their life to realize they're not? <clears throat> Did, have you ever met your hero? Anyone ever met your hero and absolutely been disillusioned and frustrated because... Your hero was nothing like you thought they were going to be. We, we have a tendency when you get close to people to notice their flaws. And when we see their flaws, we forget the potential value that they have. I am married to a woman who I know with all my soul will be a heavenly mother. And billions upon billions of souls will worship her. I better be careful. Right? If those billions were watching me now, what would they demand that I do to her? And sometimes we forget the value that God has placed on the people closest to us, and we don't treat them relative to that value. James. So how do we come to respect ourselves? Because I think that's a major part in the family, is having that own self-respect. We have to convince ourselves that if I treat myself, one of his creations, in an unworthy way, it's displeased. it can't be pleasing to Heavenly Father. The irony is if you treated me the way you treat yourself, you'd be a horrible friend. Every one of you would be a horrible friend if you treated me the way you treated yourself. So why is it okay to treat yourself that way? One of Heavenly Father's creations. And could we say that one of the breakdowns of the family is that we don't respect ourselves as well as the people around us? So let me show you respect in a, in a way that I hope will invite you to have it in greater abundance. One of my absolute favorite stories that Christ of, of Jesus is in Luke chapter 7. Would you turn there? Luke chapter 7. Oh, thank you, Luke, for keeping this story in the scriptures. Luke's the only one that records it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or Matthew, Mark, and John do not record this story. Jesus is going to eat with a Pharisee and a sinner is going to walk in. Now tell me what Jesus sees and tell me what Simon sees. And then ask yourself, in your family, what do you see? One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. 
And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it. And you fill in the blank what that is. Some men see their wife's body. Some women see their men's, their, their husband's money-making abilities. Sometimes when we look at each other, we see it. We see the outside. We see the behavior. We smell the body odor. We hear the language. When the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it. Now, that is a reflection of his respect, and this is now how he treats her. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. In other words, what's he saying? I wouldn't even touch her. She's not worth touching. Do you see what he saw? Have you ever seen someone like that? I wouldn't even touch him. I wouldn't even touch her because she's a sinner. Now, very best typo that has ever occurred in the scriptures was on that word back in the 90s. Can I show you the typo? One of my absolute favorite typos. This is that verse. Do you see it? If you have a pair of scriptures back from the 90s, find that verse and you will just treasure it because it's so, the, the typo is so typical of what Simon saw. Simon saw a triple N sinner. And I've wondered how often I see it. I remember teaching seminary fifth period after lunch. And I had some people and I saw it. I have some children that occasionally I see it. It is very easy to see it. Now, watch Jesus. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have someone to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. Now, total side note, just a doctrinal point. Who is Jesus most willing to forgive? The people most grateful for his forgiveness. I think that's an interesting doctrine. Jesus is most willing to forgive those who are most grateful for his forgiveness. 
But let's get to the point. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? Those are my favorite words that Jesus uttered. Do you see her? He reminds me of that all the time. I am married to one of his daughters. Do you see what I see? Do you see her? Then why aren't you treating her the way I would? That is the heart and soul of respect. I see her. I see her. Do you see it? Or do you see her? Jesus said, Seest thou this woman? I entered in thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? Why? Because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, to her, thy sins be forgiven. Do you see what respect is? He paints such a beautiful picture of respect. Let me show you another one. Um, Joseph Smith went into debt to pay for the Kirtland Temple. Kirtland Temple might very well have been the most expensive building ever built considering our inability to pay for it and what we built. It was a tremendously expensive building and Joseph Smith went into debt for it. Now, how is, what is Heavenly Father's general plan for getting out of debt? Is it typical to just put golden nuggets in the back of the, you know, back of the temple courtyard and just have Joseph go, go cash the golden nugget in? Is that the Lord's way of getting out of debt? Joseph Smith is talking to someone one day and he says, hey, you know what? I know, a I know a house in Salem where there's a lot of gold buried in the basement. Now that was legitimate. They did bury gold in basements. I'm not criticizing the belief that there was gold in the basement. I'm criticizing the fact that Joseph thought that that's how the Lord was gonna get the church out of debt. This guy says to Joseph, let's go to Salem, Massachusetts, and I will show you where the house is, and we can buy the house, and we can get the gold in the basement, and then we can pay for our debts. Now, any chance, that's how the Lord wants us to pay for our debts. But guess where section 111 was, where was it received? Which means what? They went. They went. Now, God could see it, or he could see Joseph. God could say, oh, you stupid idiot. 
Tell me, I love this verse one, one of my absolute favorites in terms of the character of God. I, the Lord, your God, am not displeased with you coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. What does this part of the verse mean? Joseph, this was a dumb idea. But what? I love you. I just love you. I love what you were trying to do, but this is not the way to do it. Joseph, or God, respected him. Do you see that? See him? When my oldest son was about nine, he broke one of my golf clubs. Now, I'm not a heavy golfer, but I do like to golf once in a while. And he he took my pitching wedge, and he was playing with it, and he broke the head off the pitching wedge. My nine iron, he busted it. And he knew he was in trouble. So he went into the house and he got some scotch tape and he wrapped it around that pitching wedge. And he put it back in the back. (laughs) (laughs) And I realized I could see it. Or I could see him. I could see the broken club or the little boy who made a mistake and is trying to fix it. Do you see what respect is? Respect is to see the little boy and to know his tremendous value and to treat him that way. One of the biggest threats to our families is the lack of respect. I can love someone and not respect them. So the only way we're going to have successful families and marriages is if we practice respect. Abby has a hard time climbing the stairs, and so I usually meet her right there and drive her car over there and park it. And then when class is over, I drive her car over here so she can go over here. And one day she just kind of started to cry. And she said, why do you do this for me? Why do you do this for me? Now, I love her. But why do I do that for her? Because I respect her. I see in her tremendous value. And is it worth driving, you know, driving her car back and forth so she doesn't have to go down the stairs? Yeah. I'm happy to do it because she's that valuable. Someday, billions of people will worship her as their mother in heaven. And they would demand that I treated her that way, wouldn't they? May we grow in respect. May it be a household word. May it be a conversation we have with each other and with our children and with people that we love and say, look, I do this because I respect you. May we have conversations about, we, you're not showing a lot of respect. And can I teach you what respect is? Respect is when I acknowledge the value that God has placed in his child and treat them that way. 
It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. The most dull or uninteresting creature that you could snub at any moment could, would be, will become, and most likely will become, a creature that if you could see it now, you would be inclined to worship. That's how we should treat them in this form, because we respect them. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.